thank you to anybody that's uh, jumped over from first service to second to help with some of that too. If you were here last week, I talked a little bit about that and just our need for kind of trying to get some of the people in first service to come to second service for space issues and uh, the chairs we own issues and things like that. So uh, thank you for doing that. Or if you parked over at City Hall, thank you for doing that trying to open up some space for visitors and some of our older folks and stuff like that. Uh, that's a, that's a big deal, bigger than, bigger than we realize. So I appreciate it. Um, we, uh, we've got a couple things happening here. We've got plunge coming up. Um, and, uh, to go along with that, we're doing, uh, baptism classes, uh, for people that are wanting to be baptized at plunge plunge, by the way, if you're new to 24, is something we do every year. We do baptisms any time, any Sunday. We can do baptisms, but once a year we do a we do a baptism service uh, and fellowship potluck meal kind of thing down at Cheatham Dam, uh, and uh, get out there and do do some baptisms out there as well. And uh, folks really love that big big opportunity for our church to uh, to gather together and fellowship together and all those things. But uh, also for people to uh, share, you know, what Christ has done in their life and for to be baptized. And if you've never been baptized and you're interested in that, we'd love to talk to you about that. We can do it anytime. It doesn't have to be at the dam. Maybe you don't want to do it at the dam because you don't like the Cumberland River or whatever. I don't, you know, that's fine. I get that. That's okay. Um, so far, nobody's caught anything that I know of, uh, but could happen. Um, and, uh, but uh, no, for real, we, we'd love for you to be a part. If you do want to be a part, we have uh, the, the child's baptism class is actually happening right now. Uh, but you know, we can talk with you and, and help with that. If you uh, are 12 and under that class is happening in this service time, uh, today, but the adult class is happening next week, uh, in the sec during the second service in our offices. Uh, and you can get signed up for that. We'd love for, you to, for love for you to get signed up to be baptized, to, to go through the class. If you just want to go through the class, maybe you like going through classes. We can put you through it. So just, just come on. So, uh, but no, get, get signed up, see them out there at the uh, front desk on your way out today and they can help with that. We'd love to, to make sure. We just want people to really know what baptism is about. It's a lot of people that think that baptism saves them. It does not. That's not what scripture teaches. Uh, we just, we just want people to have a clue and, and understand what they're doing, uh, when they're doing it. So that's, that's important to us. So, uh, but anyway, well, uh, let's jump into, uh, jump into the Peter, well, the book of Peter, into Peter's life. Uh, well, let's jump into the to the scriptures, uh, into the book of Acts today. If you've got a Bible, uh, go ahead and get it out, and uh, we're going to go to the book of Acts today. Uh, we're going to start in chapter 1, and we're going to jump over to chapter 8. But uh, if you don't have a Bible, our ushers have Bibles, they'd be glad to get you one. If you don't own one, you can keep that one. Uh, we'd love for you to take it with you. Uh, but uh, Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to start today. And, uh, you know, this is... Uh, it's interesting if you look at Peter's life and you look at, uh, you know, the study of Peter's all, I think it was Piper that I was reading that was talking about, you know, the difference of Peter. You see Peter in uh, the Gospels, and then you see Peter just in the book of Acts and how there's kind of this dramatic change in his life. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, even specifically, if you take the book of Luke and then the book of Acts, which were both written by Luke, you know, you've got the same person writing about this same person, but there is a, there is a distinct difference, uh, in his life. You know, we, we all love Peter so much because, 
you know, he reminds us of us a little bit, you know, can be a real knucklehead and, you know, you know, like, I feel like, you know, what you see is, you know, him blurting out, you know, like no filter Peter, you know, is kind of in the gospels. And then in the book of Acts, you have this Peter that's just like really driven toward the mission in which God has given him, you know? And, uh, and so we see that, you know, throughout uh, the book of Acts, and we see him, you know, doing a lot of things, being a part of a lot of things. But the truth is, is that a big part of Peter's life, uh, you know, becomes just the mission of God, what God's called him to do. And we're going to look at a little bit uh, of that here, uh, you know, but I just think about that. I think about us and I think about, you know, if we look back on our lives, at times there are moments in our lives where we've gone through some sort of a change where God maybe has done something in our hearts and in our lives to change us and change the trajectory of what our lives look like, right? And so, you know, it becomes a it becomes a thing of, you know, we can look back and we see what God's done in us. I mean, look look at Peter's life. I mean, look at, you know, he denies Jesus three times. I mean, not to mention the three years before that with Jesus, but then you get to the point of the denial three times and then the feed my sheep three times and you know, then this kind of like commissioning that Jesus does with the apostles. And, you know, and he's like, hey, you guys are going to go and you're going to do all this stuff. We're going to talk about that in a second. And and so from this point forward, you know, not to mention also Jesus, you know, like I'm going to build my church on you kind of thing. You know, from this point forward, we see Peter in a different light. Like he's behaving differently. Like his life has changed, you know? And, and I think about that and I think about, for us, you know, as we've come to Christ and he teaches us things along the way and how our lives change. I mean, I can look back at my life and go, man, I was a real idiot for this period of time in my life. And then I was a little less of an idiot for this period. And then a little less of an idiot for this period. Right. You know, and you can kind of go through and I, and I can kind of point back and go, well, God did this in my life. And he did that in my life. And, you know, somewhere along the way, you start to recognize you know, time is short and it's fleeting and, you know, we have a mission. It doesn't mean that we're not still, you know, idiots sometimes, but we're a little less of idiots maybe. So, uh, you know, but uh, I think that's what we have with Peter here. And so, um, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, Jesus gives as this commissioning to the apostles, you know, is, is literally this, you know, uh, you guys are going to be about spreading the gospel to all the people. You know, and so if you go, and this is Acts 1, we're going to read this here in just a second. One of the things that we see is we see uh, Jesus giving right as he goes back to be with the Father, as he ascends back uh, to be at the right hand of the Father, Jesus says this for his last words. I'm going to read this one verse, and this one verse is Jesus' last words to all of them as he's going back to be with the Father. Acts 1, verse 8 says this, Acts 1, verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so Jesus, you know, in this one little statement right here, is basically saying, you guys are going to be about taking the gospel to all the people, to them, especially this, you know, the Jews and the folks that, you know, in, in that moment where this was happening, you know, in Jerusalem, you know, when this was said, you know, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Okay, great. Awesome, right? 
You know, we're going to tell everybody in town about Jesus. Let's be about that. You know, hashtag Jerusalem for Jesus or something, you know, right? And so, and then, but then Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, and in all Judea. And he's like, oh, okay, we're going to go, you know, we're spreading out a little further, right? And then Samaria. And then I'm sure there, that probably caught the ears of some people because Jewish people and Samaritans, they were not very friendly with one another. They didn't think very much of each other. You know, uh, you know my guess without living during that time is that Jewish people definitely, definitely looked down on Samaritans as being uh, half-breed people, mixed-race people, all this kind of stuff. Uh, and then the Samaritans, I'm sure, looked at the Jewish folks and were like, yeah, they just think they're too good for us. We don't want to have anything to do with them. You know, we're, we're okay without them and all their judgment and all these things. And so Jesus is throwing this out there. He says, you know, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so he covers the bases here. Not that he hadn't already in the Great Commission, right? Remember, you're going to go and, and make disciples of who? All nations, right? All nations. So Jesus has doubled down on this idea that it's going to, it's for all the people. It's for anyone and everyone, no matter what they look like, no matter what race they come from. And so we're picking up today, you know, I, 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 I think we have to have a little bit of this as the backstory and the understanding of the different people groups as to understand what we're going to study today. Because what we're studying today, later in Acts chapter 8, which is where we're going to head here in just a second, um, you know, for us to fully understand this passage is to understand that God chooses to actually do something like, like as a one-off, like as a thing that he's going to do here because of some of this divide between these people groups and how he's bringing them together as his church, okay? And so uh, we actually are about to pick up where we've got a guy named Philip who was appointed as a deacon by the apostles to help with the uh, you know, spreading of the gospel and to go and share and teach others about Jesus and that sort of thing. And Philip has gone to Samaria, and he is with a group of Samaritans where he has been teaching about Jesus. I encourage you to read, the, read this in chapter 8. We're not studying that particular part of the passage today. Go read it for yourself later on today. But Philip, this deacon, is sharing Jesus with the Samaritans, and many are believing Many are having unclean spirits leaving them, like and and like not just like quietly leaving. It literally says they're screaming, they're that they're shouting. So there's there's like a crazy some crazy stuff going on here, and people are being healed. Okay, and so so some things are happening in this situation that are very you know like upfront you know crazy kind of feeling moment type stuff, but it's a movement of of God and what he's doing, but then furthermore, we've got, we got some new characters to introduce today, and one of them is uh, called Simon the Magician, or even Simon the Great. He calls himself the Great, and really, to be honest with you, either way, as I hear Simon the Magician or Simon the Great, all I can think of is like, this is supposed to be a character on like America's Got Talent or something, okay? So either way, we got this guy 
and I want to read about it. And I want to read about what's going on and how God uses Peter and John and pulls them in later in the story here. Uh, but Acts chapter 8, verse 9, and it says this. It says, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Don't you love that? I just, I, I, I love the confidence in this guy, Simon. You know, he's wandering around, you know, hey, everybody of Samaria, you know, I'm Simon. I'm great, by the way, you know, and I'm going to do some great things in front of you and wow the crowds or whatever, right? And it says, you know, he he previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria. Verse 10, it goes on, and says, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And, and, they, <laughs> and they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. So a couple times we've already heard that they're amazed, right? Verse 9, verse 11, both covering <laughs> that the people are amazed by Simon and the work that he's doing as a magician, okay? Verse 12 goes on and says, but when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So three times we have the word amazed used uh, in this little passage right here. Uh, two times it's about Simon amazing the people, and then the third time is about Simon himself being amazed, okay? And so that's, that's all happening here. Uh, but what we've got is we've got Simon really being recorded as someone who was thought to be almost like a god uh, or godlike uh, in the way that people were talking about him. Uh, furthermore, we have something happening here. We've got, uh, we've got people that are being baptized, both men and women, and then even Simon himself, verse 13, and after he was baptized, he continued with Philip. So he's continuing with the deacon. He's like hanging out with the guy, right? And seeing signs and great miracles performed, and he was amazed. I want you to think about this with me for just a second. If you, if you are a magician... Let's just pretend for a moment. Maybe some of you've got some great tricks. I've got this one. You know, watch this. You see my thumb right there? You know, there you go. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe if you've got these amazing tricks up your sleeve, but the truth is, is that they're tricks, right? So when you see something real that's miraculous, you look at that and you go, whoa, wait a second, that's not a trick, that's real, right? I'm imagining Simon, this character of Simon, to be for the people of Samaria, the David Copperfield of the 80s for us, right? You know, or he's like, remember he's like, you know, making the Statue of Liberty disappear, it went away on national TV, oh my gosh, how did they do that, right? It didn't go away, okay? It's still there. Um, and so, uh, you know, but I, I think, you know, for Simon, 
where he was so into being this great guy, and then he sees the real thing, right? He sees real miracles happening. He sees real spirits coming out of people, people believing in Jesus, being baptized. He's swept up in it. He's all over it. He's like, oh, man, this is, this is amazing. This is the deal, you know? And so he, too, believes, right? So, I mean, this sounds great, right? I mean, we love this. The truth is, is that Scripture actually at different points talks about a faith that is not a good faith. You know, James speaks of it. Jesus talks about it when he's talking about the seeds falling into the rocky soil. You know, they believe for a minute, and then they fall away, you know, kind of thing. You know, and, and I, I'm afraid that that's where Simon's going, but I want to read the rest of the passage so that you can see why I believe that. I'm not just trying to be judgmental toward Simon the Great, okay? Verse 14 says this. It says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. What? Wait a second. These people already believed in Jesus, right? You go back to verse 11, and they pay great attention to him because for a long time he had been amazed with him and his magic, verse 12. But then, but when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. So these people believed and were baptized but have not received the Holy Spirit. Now, this may not sound like a big deal, but this is a big deal. Because for you and I, the moment that we believed in the name of Jesus to be our Savior, the moment that we understood that he wanted to have a relationship with us, love us, care for us, that he died on the cross for us, that he defeated the grave for us, the moment that that happened, we received the Holy Spirit. We see... Many other situations, uh, Acts 2, where people believe in Jesus and what happens? They receive the Holy Spirit. There's a move, this huge movement of the Spirit, movement of the Lord and all this. And so what's going on here? This, this, I told you, I told you earlier, there's, there's like, this is like this one-off moment where God chose to do something different in how they would receive the Holy Spirit. And so he calls in, they call in, what's it say? Verse 14, now, when the apostles at Jerusalem had heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So what is, what's up? Peter and John like put the Holy Spirit in a trailer, and they're trailering it up there to them? Is that what they're doing? What's happening here? I'm going to keep reading. It says, For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. And I'll stop right there. So we're going to come back and talk about 
what's going on here with the Holy Spirit. But I want to talk about Simon again for a minute. So, so Simon sees this happening, and you you got to remember, you got to come from Simon's situation. What's he? He's the trickster. He's the magician. He's he's the guy that wants to be able to pull one over on everybody. He wants to have the power. He wants them to think what? That he's great, right? And so Simon sees this movement of the Holy Spirit happening after these couple guys, Peter and John, come on the scene and they pray over these people and they receive the Holy Spirit and then there are the effects of them receiving the Holy Spirit. Like, you know, crazy, I'm sure, crazy moment. We don't even get to get the full on of like what that even looks like or any really you know uh talk about it but i mean we can imagine that all these people have received the holy spirit from the lord in this moment and i mean they just they must be just beside themselves and simon sees this what does he see simon sees a shiny thing that's what simon sees he sees a shiny thing he sees a thing that he wants what does he want he wants power he wants the ability for himself to be great, not for God to be great in him. And there's the difference. Simon is about his glory, not the glory of God. And the truth is, is I just don't think that Simon's really paying attention to what's really going on. Simon hasn't really understood the truth of the gospel. He's just seen the effects of the gospel, and he wants a piece of that. So much so, what's he do? He walks up to Peter and John. He's like, hey, guys, bros, let's do this. Um, I, I need what you've got. I want to be able to do that trick too so that everybody will remember I'm the great, right? And uh, I tell you what, I'll just pay you. I, I'm just going to start whipping the bills off here. You tell me when it's enough, right? By the way, I'm all, I've always been waiting for somebody to do that for me, you know, like that. Tell me when to stop, right? That hadn't happened yet. Simon, Simon is enamored with the shiny thing. He wants God's power. He wants to be God. Now, he may not see it that way. But that's what he wants to do. That's what we want to do, by the way, when we want to do it our way, right? When we want to ignore the scriptures and just, you know, oh, let's do it my way. Well, but Chris, going through, going through a lot, going through tough, yeah, I get it. We all have those moments. But it's really no different. Because we think that we know better than the Lord. And he loves us and he cares for us and he created us. And he knows better than we do about ourselves. And he offered them money. He offered them money. Saying, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I may lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. I promise, guys, I'll only use it in the right ways. You know, if you'll give me the horsepower, I'll, I promise I won't, you know, I won't go out, I won't go out and misuse it. People are going to know I'm great. And in verse 20, we see Peter speak some strong words to him. He says this, said, but Peter said to him, may your silver 
perish with you because you thought you could obtain this gift, the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come upon me. He's desperate right here, by the way, when he says this. He's like, he's, I mean, he still's not getting it. And, and at this point, he's just hearing what Peter's saying. He's like, no, 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 no. Pray that that won't happen. Pray that that's not happening, right? And then in verse 25, and it says, Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they re returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Okay. So this is a crazy situation. But it's not all that different than sometimes how we treat our relationship with God. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. I want to, I want to go back to talking about the Holy Spirit. Let's go back and talk about that for a minute. We'll come back to Simon, I promise you. Let's go back and talk about the Holy Spirit. Why in the world is God choosing to not give the Holy Spirit to them until Peter and John go back for this moment? Why, why, why do we have this situation that seems to literally be like a one-off situation and how God is going to give the Holy Spirit out. And we've got it when these two guys go back. Well, here's why. This is the best explanation that I can give you, and I, I think it's accurate. What we have here is we have a moment where we know that these people groups don't like each other. God was completely aware of this, completely aware of this. And therefore, I believe, and most theologians will agree with me, that what we're seeing here is we're seeing a moment where God is using some of the same people, talking about Peter and John, to tie together other people. So we've got Jewish people, Samaritan people, people of Judea, you know, all these, you know, all these different peoples. But what he's doing is he's trying to keep the moment from happening where with Philip out here, you know, kind of on his own teaching about Jesus, they come to Jesus and then they decide that they're their own church, that they're their own thing, and that they're different than the Jewish people because we don't like the Jewish people, or that the Jewish people, on the other hand, would be like, well, you know, we had this movement of the Holy Spirit here and God saved us and all this, but when we've got our church, but we're not a part of that Samaritan church because they're a different thing, because we don't have anything to do with them, and they're different than us, and they don't like us either. And we don't like them. And what God has chosen to do here is take this moment where Peter and John would be used to be the same guys to share in these moments of the beginning of these churches within these people groups so that there could be no division between them and that they would have to understand that they are one church in different places. 
that they are brothers and sisters in Christ and that they're going to be challenged in the future to overcome their differences, to work together for the sake of the gospel. I love that. I love that. And that's what's happening here. And so God chose to wait for Peter and John to go there, share the Spirit with them. They receive it. But then Peter and John are not going to stay there, and they're going to be able to go back and go to the Jewish people and say, hey, the church is growing. And it's not just in Jerusalem anymore. It's even in Samaria. And they know that some people are not going to think highly of that. But we've got what the Lord said, right? And we go back to that, that, eight, that Acts 1.8, that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, all all nations, right? All nations. And I love that. I love that. We come back to Simon and we say, well, here in the midst of this crazy moment of God doing this thing, here's this guy that wants the power of God for himself to make himself more known. And again, I'm thinking about this from Simon's standpoint and thinking about, you know, if I'm a phony that has tricks, right? And then I see a real thing, and he did, and you recognize that, well, that's, that's pretty earth-shattering for you to, like, you be good at something, and then you see somebody that's not just good at it. It's like a gift given to them. They don't even have to try. When he saw the real thing, he recognized it. And he knew, he knew that this would trump his magic. He knew that he'd been faking it all along. You ever fake it? You know that statement, fake it till you make it? Remember the first time I really got that statement like put on me, fake it till you make it. I was working for a record label <clears throat> in uh, the very end of high school, my senior year. And uh, been there for a few months or whatever, and uh, it was a not a paying gig, and it turned into a paying gig. And then uh, I got to be friends with one of the guys there, and uh, he was it's so weird because here I was like this high schooler working in the mailroom, and I became friends with our in-house lawyer who was like always wearing a suit, you know. And his name's Joe, and Joe and I are still friends to this day, and like the two most unlikely people to hang out and be friends we got to hang out and be friends and uh he loved my car and i had a very cool car uh without a doubt old muscle car and and uh, i would drive that to work and he thought that was great and he wanted to go for a ride in it and then as we continued to get to talking we had another thing in common not just the cars but we both loved van halen and so we got to talking about Van Halen and we would, you know, back and forth, you know, who's better DLR or Sammy, by the way, it's Sammy. And so, you know, we, we, you know, but I have respect for both. And so, you know, we, you know, we would have these conversations and we'd go to lunch, we'd eat chips and salsa and we'd talk about Van Halen. 
and the the Mexican restaurant was literally like right across the street, but we'd do a burnout like between the, you know, the thing and the thing, you know, to get over there and have a good time. One day we're sitting at lunch. He said, are you want to be in this business for a long time? Is this what you want to do for a career? And at that time, I really thought that I did. I said, yeah, I think so. And he said, let me give you a piece of advice. He said, a lot of turnover in this business. He said, people don't last. He said, people go, you know, they'll be in and out or whatever. He said, people that are over you, they're going to leave. Somebody's going to come and they're going to look at you and they're going to say, can you do their job? And you say, yes. And I said, what if I can't do their job? And he said, well, you say yes then. And when that person leaves, this is exactly what he told me. He said, when that person leaves, then you go ask everybody else around how to do that job. And you figure out how to do that job and you do that job. He said, you're going to fake it until you make it. And it actually worked because by the end of it, I was working for the vice president of the company like three years or something. I don't know. Kind of crazy looking back on it. But for us, for us to fake it till we make it with God doesn't work. We can't fake it. God knew Simon's heart and he knows our hearts. Yet we still play these games with God, don't we? We play these little games, even though we say we don't, you know, we may not talk about them out loud, but in our, in our minds and our hearts, we'll do things like, you know, okay, Lord, well, you know, if you'll help me through this moment, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go to church more, or I'm going to be a better, I'm going to get back to my Bible study. I'm going to be better with my prayer time. The Lord doesn't want us to play games with him. And he knows when we're faking it. He just wants us to have a relationship with him. And that's what Simon was missing. You can't fool God. Don't trust yourself. Trust Jesus. What Simon was missing was he was missing the truth of the gospel. He was just seeing the shiny thing that was this, you know, byproduct of what God had done in people's lives and going, I want that. I need that. Give me that, and then I can use it for myself. And that's not what we're called to do. The calling on our lives is that we would have this relationship with Jesus, which would turn into true love as a response of what he's done for us, that it would change us and make us new people, that our responses to the world would be not, hey, look at me, I'm great. But hey, look at him. He's great. And I think for some of us, we fall into where we believed in Jesus along the way. We look at, we look at Simon. What does Simon do? It says he believed. It says even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip right? But he turns into one of those seed in the rocks guys. Man, I, I hate that. I hate that for him. 
And we don't know. We don't know what happened with Simon long term. We see like the desperate Simon at the very end of this conversation looking looking at Peter going, oh, no, pray to the Lord that that's not going to happen. Pray to the Lord that that's not the case because he's just afraid at this point. He's like, oh, my gosh, you mean me and my silver both are just going to die and go away? The truth is I think a lot of people within churches, the church as a whole, by the way, we are a part of the church of Jesus, right? This is not about the fame of 24. This is about the fame of Jesus, folks. Okay? Let me be real clear about that. And I think there's a lot of people that are part of the church of Jesus that maybe believed for the wrong reasons. And 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 maybe maybe you're one of those people, maybe you believe to be somebody because you you thought you know if you believed you'd be somebody within a church or something or that it would help you to belong or that it would make someone else happy i've told that story of you know when i came to know christ uh in my childhood uh when i was a really a freshman but earlier on as a child child you know i had this understanding of this if i walked the aisle and i told them that i loved jesus I'd get to get in the swimming pool that was behind the choir and uh, people would be happy about it and I wouldn't go to hell. And that sounded pretty good, right? But that's not the reason to believe. The reason to believe is because God has revealed himself to us through the Holy Spirit and helped us to see that we're sinners and that we do need to repent and that we need forgiveness. And then we want God to be our Savior and lead us. Maybe you believed for the fire insurance, the, you know, oh, I don't want to go to hell thing, you know? There's a lot of people that probably could say that. And I think, I think sometimes that happens. And then later God does like what he did in my life, which was, you know, later in life for me as a fret going into my freshman year of high school when God spoke to my heart and he said, Chris, you know a lot about me, but you don't know me. And then I received Jesus as my Savior, and my life changed. Maybe you believed because someone told you that God would bless you if you believed. Maybe you believed because some preacher on TV told you you'd get rich blessing type thing, you know, whatever. By the way, a bunch that's a bunch of junk, okay? That's called a false gospel. And it can go to the pit of hell where it belongs. Maybe you believed because you just liked the idea of being saved by God more than really understanding that God loves you and wants a relationship with you. He cares about you. Maybe you love the love of God more than you love God, you know? These are all just things to think about. And, and you may be sitting here going, Chris, I, you know, I didn't come here today for you to make me doubt my salvation. Look, I, I'm not interested in having, making people doubt their salvation today. What I am interested in is making sure that if anyone is doubting their salvation, that they could leave here today knowing without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is their Savior. And that that would come from the response of recognizing what Christ has done for us and our response to that being that we would believe. That we would repent, that we would recognize, I need forgiveness. I need a Savior. 
Maybe that's where you are. Bonhoeffer talks about the cost of discipleship. And he says, a grace that is cheap can merit a cheap discipleship. Look, you're, you're going to go through some hard things in life. But God's going to use that stuff as part of your discipleship to bring you to be the person that he's called you and created you to be. Grace wasn't cheap. It came with a great price. And it paid off a great penalty. Costly grace means costly discipleship. But the bottom line is this. We can't work our way into grace. And we definitely can't buy it. Ephesians 2.8 says this. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You can't be good enough for it. That's legalism, right? You can't have enough money to buy it. It's free. It's a gift and not a result of our works, so that no one may boast. Simon was all about telling everybody about how great he was. But Philip had something greater. The name of Jesus was greater than the name of Simon. And maybe today it'd be good for you just to, to yourself. Maybe you need to be reminded of that. Maybe you need to say that to yourself today. Maybe you need to say, you know, that the, that the name of Jesus is greater than the name of Chris. And put your name in there. Simon wanted God's power. Truth is, he wanted fame. He wanted an easy way out. He was missing God's glory. Our whole life is about God's glory. Making him known. He created us for that. That's why we naturally want to worship and we'll worship just any little shiny thing that gets in front of us that we think is what we've got to have next. And that's what Simon was doing. Don't miss God's glory. Don't miss his goodness. Don't miss his grace, the gift given for wanting salvation itself more than God himself. It's all about his glory, not ours. Our response to the gospel is one of gratefulness, love, being changed, and truly in love with Jesus. Today, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together, take communion together. And during this time, I just encourage you, seek Jesus. Be reminded what he's done for you. Spend a few moments like meditating on the person of Christ on the cross on an empty tomb, on the life lived and given that we might have life. A phony knows the real thing when it comes along. And Simon knew that his magic was no match for Jesus' magic. Have you allowed God to do that type of work, that type of unbelievable 
outworking of a miracle, magical thing in your life today? He wants to. When I walk off here, I'm going to go out there in the foyer, and if you would like to talk about what it means to know Jesus as your Savior, I'll be out there waiting for you to pray with you, to talk with you about it. For us as believers today, may we be reminded of what brought us here to begin with, his grace, his sacrifice. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. But God, even more than that, we thank you for Jesus. Right now, help us, Lord, to know you more, to be reminded of what you've done for us in sending your son to give his life, to die, to defeat death on our behalf. God, I pray this morning Lord, that you would find us as a people that are faithful and following you. God, help us. Help us in our lives to glorify you in everything we do. I pray that people would see you in everything we do. God, shine a light on our lives in the ways that we are not allowing that to happen right now. Lord, convict us over those things and bring change in our life that in even those things, Lord, that you would be seen. And God, for anyone, Lord, that has not believed, trusted in you today, I pray that you would speak to their hearts and they would cry out to you and say, God, I know, I know I'm a sinner. God, save me with your grace. Be the Lord of my life today. God, do that work in their life today. Lord, we ask all this today in your son's name. Amen.